I'm especially glad to be with you the last night of this revival. It is always a pleasure. I would like to thank all of you who have served this evening for making my time here hospitable for the music ministry. Thank you all for being so awesome. Uh, to my friend, Pastor Collins, thank you so very much for the opportunity to be here. Um, and to be with you, my sisters and brothers, I am so very grateful. I am here because the Lord has sent me, and for that I am eternally grateful. Would you bow your head for a word of prayer? Gracious Lord, we thank you. It is you that we live and we move and we have our being. And it's tonight, Lord, we come to you and we say thank you for allowing us to dwell together. Lord, I'm just a simple preacher with a simple message, and I pray that you will bless our time together all the more. Help me now. Help me to proclaim the unsearchable mysteries of your scripture. Help me to do it with brevity and with power. I ask these things in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. If you have your Bibles, would you turn with me to 1 Samuel chapter 15? 1 Samuel chapter 15. On the second night of revival, I'm so very glad to be here. Last week, we talked about how God has a way of confusing our plans to get us where God wants us to be. And so in order to be revived and to usher into this new thing, there's a, another installment that I'd like to share with you. So 1 Samuel 15, and I want to start at verse 34, and I will read the next maybe four or five verses. And it says, Then Samuel left for Ramah, but Saul went up to his home in Gibeah. Until that day Samuel died, he did not go and see Saul again, though Samuel mourned for him. And the Lord was grieved that he made him king over Israel. 16 and 1 says, The Lord said to Samuel, How long will you mourn for Saul since I have rejected him as king of Israel? How long will you mourn for Saul as I've rejected him as king of Israel? For the time that's ours, I'd like to share with you from this thought. Don't miss the morning morning. Don't miss the morning, M-O-R-N-I-N-G, comma, morning, M-O-U-R-N-I-N-G. Don't miss the morning, morning. My sister and brother, we've all had those reasons that we wanted to throw in the towel. We know what it's like to have high expectations, to have something happen and to find ourselves now wrestling with what do we do with this broken situation we find ourselves. I had high hopes for this relationship. I hoped that the marriage would have lasted forever, but I find myself sitting in the lawyer's office because something has happened. Maybe you were sitting at the job and after many years of service, you found yourself sitting on the other end of the desk and now you are in mourning over that situation. Maybe you know what it's like to fall out with a loved one. And every time the holiday comes around, you get that feeling that you should connect. But that feeling of mourning over what was continues to hover. Disappointment is part of the human predicament. Oh, disappointment is difficult. To have high hopes, to 
have things start out in such a wonderful way, but to have, to have the ways of the world and the fluctuations of our human nature impact our relationships and impact our opportunities so that we are then in mourning. Sadness that comes with something lost. Oh, you can't mourn unless you've had. You can't mourn love unless you've had love. You can long for it, but you can't mourn it because to mourn means I've had something. I've had an intimate connection with something. Mourning is such a difficult thing. And so many people have said there are five steps to grief or to mourning. There's different ways in which people cope with what it means to lose. My sister and my brother, I believe that not enough of us, not enough of us has spent enough time in mourning. Some of us in this age of let me get over it. Let me get over it. I'm going to move on to the next thing. This didn't hurt me. I'm going to move on. This constant desire to move on has left us in a space in which we are unable to mourn. Yes, some things require us to mourn. Death should cause us to reflect and to mourn. Loss should cause us to reflect and to mourn. And so when we don't take those opportunities to mourn, we diminish our own feelings. We diminish our own humanity. We diminish the humanity of others because to mourn is to live. But I find very interestingly that as many people don't take the time to mourn, some people take the time to mourn too long. They wear black too long. They tell stories of what used to be too long. And so they're unable to enter into a new thing because they're still living in the aftermath of the old thing. To think about what used to be can be a canopy that covers the sun from shining down on your new experience. So what does it mean to mourn and to mourn too long? It means that you're unable to get about the bed in the morning. You're unable to find a new way to resolve to see the future differently because you see it through the spectacles of yesterday. Oh, to mourn is to say that tomorrow will be like yesterday and yesterday will be like today because I have seen too much hurt and I felt too much pain to believe that God has anything else for me besides what I've had. That desire to mourn too long holds many of us captive because we are unable to imagine a future beyond what we've seen. Mourning too long could even obscure how the scripture writer writes that eyes have not seen and ears have not heard. That can sound like myth and fairy tale if you find yourself mourning too long. When we enter and approach the text tonight, we find Saul being deposed as king. Saul was chosen to be king over the Israelite people. Had tremendous promise. He was chosen because he was handsome and tall and had all the trappings of leadership. He was invested in by God and by Samuel. 
Samuel being the prophet of Israel. Samuel being the one that God commissioned to take care of God's people. So this king that they helped to choose has now failed them. How did he fail, you might ask? He failed because he did not fully execute what God said do. He half did what God gave him to do and then lied as if he did it. So then he put himself in the position where he forfeited his opportunity. I can imagine Saul mourning over the fact that he has failed God and also let down Samuel. But if you swivel the camera around and you look at Samuel, you see a man who knows what it's like to be disappointed. You put your hands on something that God said put your hands on. You believe in something that God said believe in. You support something God said support. But then you find yourself frustrated because that thing has let you down. How does Samuel push past this desire to mourn too long? He needed some help. For the text says in verse 1, how long? Will you mourn? But the text says in chapter 15 at the end that God and Samuel both lamented and mourned for Saul. So there was an appropriate time to mourn. They should have been sad. They should have reflected on what happened. They should have asked those critical questions and those wondering what ifs. They should have wanted to know what is this about? But then the period of mourning had to end. You couldn't stay down forever. No matter how sad you are, you have to find a way to rise up. No matter how disappointed disappointment is, there still must be something deeper that pushes you because God said, how long will you stay down? Thinking about yesterday. How long will you talk about what things used to be like? How long will you live in the old thing when I am standing at the door of mourning? How long will you live in mourning? Therefore, you are unable to see the dawning of a new day. God poses that question to you and poses that question to me. How long will we continue to sing songs of failure and frustration when God says, I am doing a new thing in your midst? Do you not perceive it? Or are you going to tell me of all the ways that you failed in the past? At that point, Samuel had a decision to make. Will I trust God or will I trust my past? Will I trust God, the God who was with me in my frustration? The text says God repented, God lamented that he made Saul king. It's good to know I have a God who was in the mess with me. 
God was sad with Samuel. But while God was sad with him, God still was working on something else. So that even though he was sad keeping them company, God was choosing something better and bigger while he was praying. So, if we stay in extended mourning too long, we're likely to, number one, stay in our comfort zone. We're likely to stay in our comfort zone. The text says, God said, get up and go. I want you to go to Bethlehem. Significance about of Bethlehem is this. Israel's in two, two factions, two, two parts. You have the northern kingdom and the southern kingdom. The northern kingdom has 10 tribes. Southern kingdom, two tribes. So what happens is that Saul is the head of the northern kingdom. So God tells Samuel, go south to find his replacement. Also, Samuel, being a traveling prophet, has his own little rotation of places he goes. But God doesn't send him to the places he's familiar with either. God sends him to a place beyond the jurisdiction of his boss and beyond the realm that he's used to going in. God sends him to a new place to do a new thing. It is easy for us not to go to the new place to do the new thing if we are in extended mourning. Because we would want to be in places that are comforting to us. Places that are familiar to us, that make us feel good around places that keep us safe. Because it would be dangerous for Samuel to go. Because you told the king that you're not the king anymore in a private conversation. So he is still the king to everyone else. But you're going to look for the replacement of the king while the king is on the throne. So stepping outside your comfort zone may be dangerous. It may not make any sense to the casual observer. Why are you doing this? Why are you doing that? But there's something that you know that is existing beyond the fringes of your comfort that God is saying go. Go and find out what I have for you. Go and do what I have for you to do. But it's not going to be in your living room. It's not going to be inside the walls of the church only. You have to go beyond your comfort zone and open up your arms to the world because it is in going and pressing that comfort zone and being uncomfortable by God's call. That's where life begins. And that's when you walk into your purpose. It is beyond that comfort zone. But we miss that. We miss the beauty of what happens when we are pressed at our borders. If we find ourselves in extended mourning. The second thing that can happen is that it can cloud our vision. Extended mourning can cloud our vision. So the text says that Samuel arrives at Bethlehem. The people see Samuel and say, well, look, man, we don't want no 
trouble. Because when Samuel shows up, it's typically not a good thing. So they said, look, do you come in peace? He said, I come in peace. I came to sacrifice with Jesse and his boys. Okay. So he walks into the house. He sees the first son and says, surely this is the one. He's tall. Just like Saul. Mm. He had Saul on the brain in a new situation. He was going to cripple his new opportunity thinking about his previous opportunity. He was going to make a choice for the future based on his past, a past that God rejected. So if he was not careful, he was going to replicate the same thing he got out of and turn it into a cycle. So God had to intervene and say, no, 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 no. You look at the outward appearance. But I look at the heart of the person. I'm grateful that we have a God who has x-ray vision. Who is able to see the heart of people and the heart of a situation. A God who is able to zoom in from a cosmic level. And peer into the souls of those on the earth. God says it doesn't matter what you look like. I'm looking at the heart condition. The divine cardiologist says I see the heart. And this heart's not right. Oh, he, he could have thrown it away. Choosing the wrong person. Because he had the wrong person on the brain. So now he's looking and now he finds himself looking again after sun, after sun, after sun passes. He has no idea what he's looking for, but he's looking. He doesn't have a clue of what, he's, what he'll find, but he's still looking. God said, try something new. He's trying it, but he's not finding success. So if I'm Samuel, I would feel like God is messing with me. You reject the previous option. You send me to a place beyond my comfort zone. And then you have me stand as person after person goes by. And this is not the one. And this is not the one. And this is not the one. I can't imagine the level of frustration a person must feel to be so close, yet so far away. How can I be so close, God, to what you have for me? But every time I try, it's not the right thing. Why couldn't you just let me find the right thing at first? But God's trying to clarify Samuel's vision. Because if he would have eyeballed the winner from the beginning, he wouldn't have had the faith to listen to God. So God had to work something out of Samuel. God is working out Samuel's mourning. 
even in the process of moving on. So now Samuel asks, is there another son? As this is not the one, and this is not the one, and this is not the one. Jesse says, I, I have one other son, but he's out in the field. Number three, extended mourning can impact your ability to wait. Samuel says, I will not sit down until he comes. I will not make myself comfortable. I will not engage in the hospitality you've provided until this person comes. If it takes all night, I'm going to wait. If it takes all weekend, if he lost the sheep and he's out finding the one sheep, I'll wait till he comes. Because if I don't wait for this, then my time before is in vain. So I can't lose patience now because I'm at the verge of seeing God do something new. So it's easy for us to lose patience with God, lose patience with the process, and lose patience with ourselves. When we see that things aren't clicking the way we thought they would go. When things don't move as fast as we anticipated, we throw up our hands and say we failed again. But could it be that you're learning how to wait with maturity because that waiting has come with the season of mourning? Sitting with that feeling of loss, thinking about the lessons learned, Samuel said, I will not walk away from this experience without the fullness of what God has for me. Because if I do, not only do I miss it, but the people miss it. For I'm selecting a king over the people. A shepherd to model God being their shepherd. So if I lose patience, my actions will then harm a great number of people. You don't know the impact that you have and your inability to wait can harm more people than you'll ever know. But that inability to wait for a lot of us is nourished from being in mourning too long. God is trying to do something new. Biblical scholars suggest that at this break in the scripture at this break in 1 Samuel, God is ushering in something new. We're seeing Saul fade out of the picture and we're seeing the emergence and rise of David. So this text is a break in what was and what will be. This text symbolizes a break in how things were and what God will do. 
And Samuel, being the hinge figure, had to make sure he was properly aligned so he wouldn't miss the moment. And so he had to stand there and wait, not only on David, but had to wait on the voice of the Lord. Can you wait on the voice of the Lord? Or do you have all the answers? Can you wait for God to speak clearly? Or does your voice fill in when God's voice is absent? God is yet waiting to speak. But God being ever the gentleman is not going to impede God's voice when so many of us would rather be God ourselves. Our waiting is impinged upon when we're in extended mourning. But lastly, if you stay in extended mourning, you will not be able to do what you came to do. David finally arises. And what I love about God is that what you came to do does not look like what you thought it was going to be. David walks in. Not, not dressed for the occasion, smelling like the outdoors, as my grandma would say. Fresh from the sheep pen, out in the pasture with his daddy's flock. He comes in not knowing what this is about, as none of them know what this is all about. The unlikely one, he's short. The Bible says he's handsome. He cares a lot about things because he cares about God's sheep. He's used to playing his role without getting the attention that is due. And so when he walks in, Samuel looks at him and the voice of the Lord came and said, arise and anoint him for he's the one. But here's the thing, church, don't miss this. He was chosen before Samuel showed up. God took Samuel through all those stages and phases, not only for David's sake, but David was already chosen. God took Samuel through that process for Samuel's sake because he knew Samuel was still hurt and sad over what happened to Saul. So God caring about Samuel and said, I'm going to heal you through the process of moving forward. So instead of sitting around thinking your healing will come that way, your healing actually comes by moving forward. So could it be, church, that the healing that we seek as local church, national church, international church, could it be that healing is at stake today? God has brought us together to deal with our issues so we can mourn together. But oh, a church that mourns too long is a church that stays too comfortable. It's a church that won't branch out and do the things of ministry. It'll be a church that expects people to come in instead of a church that goes out. 
God is calling us to get over this collective mourning that is hovered over who we used to be and how we see ourselves. A new day is dawning. Do you not perceive it? God is the God of a new thing. The God of this text, the God that was sad with sin, the God that chose David, the God that rejected Saul, is the same God at work creating a new day and a new morning in the midst of your morning. Do you not perceive it?